I want to thank everybody for being here. I, I think uh, because we need 11 people to vote, we're going to go ahead and give the opening statement to start with y'all. As soon as we get to 11 folks, we'll stop and vote on the noms. And I, again, I want to thank everybody for their cooperation. Uh, but first, I want to thank our witnesses for being here with us today. We're fortunate to have such an experienced and distinguished panel. As our members know, this is the fourth in a series of hearings on Russia since July, with today's hearing considering the current status of and prospects for arms control efforts. The current situation is not encouraging. Out of four agreements, New START, the INF Treaty, the Open Skies Treaty, and the Chemical Weapons Convention, we have significant problems with Russian compliance of three of them. It should come as no surprise to any of us that Russia has been cheating on its treaties. Vladimir Putin's government has annexed Crimea, occupied parts of Russia, interfered with elections, including our own, used chemical weapons to poison individuals on British soil, and even purportedly hacked U.S. utilities. Given that record, he's not likely to let treaty commitments get in his way either. The question we need to ask is, what are we going to do? Some argue that we should just walk away from the INF Treaty since Russia has been blatant in blatant violation for several years now. Some think that's exactly what Putin hopes for. The last time we deployed intermediate range missiles to West Germany in 1983, a million people protested. That is exactly the kind of division that Russian information operations are designed to exploit and to intensify. As we discussed at our meeting on NATO, it is crucial that we remain unified with our European partners on defense and deterrence issues. On the Open Skies Treaty, we are at an impasse with the Russians. We haven't had a flight all year. We can live without that data, but it hurts the 32 other countries that do not have the same alternative resources that we do. Even with New START, which has succeeded in its objectives so far, we should be realistic about our expectations of where we will be with Russia in 2021 when the treaty expires and less extended. Nevertheless, we need to be thinking carefully about the effects of new weapons and technologies on strategic stability between the U.S., Russia, and other nations. Putin has boasted about the hypersonic glide vehicles, nuclear-powered ballistic missiles, nuclear torpedoes, and Russian advances in cyber warfare, space, and artificial intelligence. Each of these developments introduces new uncertainties into the deterrence calculations of adversaries, and none of them is easy to address from an arms control, verification, and compliance perspective. But as we devote our own research and development into these areas, we must consider their potential to encourage risk-taking by any country with access to them. I hope our witnesses today can not only provide an assessment of the status of current agreements, but also offer us some assurance that the State and Defense Departments are considering these emergency arms control challenges. I also hope we can gain a better understanding of any arms control discussions that took place at the Helsinki summit and what the prospects may be for future control, arms control agreements. With that, I want to thank you again for being here. I still don't think we have 11, so I'll turn to our distinguished ranking member, Senator Menendez. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, for convening today's hearing as part of a series of hearings on the U.S. policy towards the Russian Federation. 
Arms control efforts to reduce the risk of nuclear war and limit Russia's nuclear forces are vital for maintaining and strengthening U.S. national security. Despite a number of inquiries to the Secretary and others, more than two months after President Trump's Helsinki meetings with President Putin, we remain largely in the dark as what the two leaders discussed or agreed to during their two-hour closed session. We do know that Russian Ambassador to the United States, Anatoly Antonov, told reporters that, quote, important verbal agreements were reached at the Helsinki summit on arms control issues, including preservation of the New START and INF Treaty. We continue to find ourselves in an incredible situation. The American people, the elected officials in this body, and members of the President's own administration hear more from Russian officials about alleged agreements that the President is making about critical national security issues. What constitutes an important verbal agreement? What constitutes an important, ver an important verbal agreement? Has the President reached key decisions with Russia on key arms control treaties? If so, why hasn't Congress been informed about this decision? Along with many others in this body, I have for many years strongly supported policies to confront Russia for its multiple and ongoing transgressions, including military aggression, malign influence, and repressive policies. I believe that we must develop comprehensive strategies to confront our adversaries that ultimately prioritize the safety and security of the United States and its citizens. This requires being clear-eyed about the threats we face and all the tools our adversaries can wield against us. Constraining the proliferation of nuclear weapons must be a core component of our strategy. Given the reality of Russia's current nuclear capacity, we must collectively use every diplomatic tool in our arsenal, economic, political, and military to achieve our goals. The stakes could not be higher. We have historically negotiated and entered into agreements with our adversaries, recognizing that we are dealing with hostile powers that cannot be trusted. We build in metrics that account for a probability of efforts to deceive and dodge. In high-stakes agreements, provisions outlining U.S. intelligence verification and compliance are essential. In the universe of arms control agreements with Russia, we conduct on-site inspections of military bases and facilities. We require data exchanges in order to track the status and makeup of their nuclear forces. Today, we know Russia is violating the Intermediate Range Nuclear Force Treaty. If we have evidence that a country is violating international commitments, we must be unequivocal in working through the construction of the agreement to bring them back into compliance. We must never lose sight of our objectives with any arms control agreement to reduce the risk of catastrophic war and to constrain our adversaries' ability to threaten us and our allies. And in assessing the value of an arms control agreement, we must consider whether our participation in the agreement further advances our goals. Would withdrawing or walking away from an agreement strengthen our hand or ultimately leave us without a seat at the table, without insight into our adversaries' stockpile, safer or less secure? Finally, I want to remind our members of some of the history surrounding the Senate's ratifications of the New START Treaty. When the Senate deliberated New START in 2010, some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, including our esteemed chairman, made it clear that they were willing to vote for the treaty, but only as part of a deal that modernized our nuclear forces and infrastructure. Neither an unconstrained nuclear arms race nor blind faith in arms control agreements serve U.S. national security interests. American security is best served with a strong, credible deterrent that operates within a legally binding, stable, and constrained arms control environment. I hope the Trump administration fully appreciates this vital linkage. Diminishing, for example, the value of arms control 
and placing all faith in one-dimensional conceptions of increasing nuclear strength to bring the Russians and the Chinese to Hill will result in a far more dangerous strategic environment. I also want to remind the administration that bipartisan support for nuclear modernization is tied to maintaining an arms control process that controls and seeks to reduce Russian nuclear forces, which inevitably means promoting military and fiscally responsible policies on ourselves. We're not interested in writing blank checks for a nuclear arms race with Russia. And we don't want to step off our current path of stability to wander again down an uncertain road filled with potentially dire consequences. And the final note I'd make, Mr. Chairman, I guess we have enough people now to go ahead and vote, is that I hope that as part of our oversight, uh, which I applaud you for having conducted with these hearings, that we will also get to uh, an opportunity to mark up uh, DASCA and, and similar related bills. I think it is important for the Congress to speak about the Russia's violations of the international order, certainly the undermining of our election. Um, and since we have uh, very often this committee taken up sanctions as part of our overall uh, foreign policy tool, which is one of the critical tools of peaceful diplomacy, I would urge uh, uh, the chairman to make sure that we also keep uh, jurisdictional uh, opportunities as it relates to that, and that we can have a markup that sends a hopefully a united message uh, to the Russians that uh, we will not tolerate uh, their actions both at home and abroad. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I look forward to the witnesses. Thank you, and uh, thank you for that statement. I think everyone here understands that uh, depending on how you write a bill um, and what uh, key phrases you use, it determines which committee it goes to. And we're not giving up jurisdiction on anything, but every committee member has to understand if they want to come to foreign relations, they have to write it in a certain way. And I know everybody's mastered that art. I know you did on your bill, and it's a bill that's in this committee. So I thank you for referring to that. Um, with that, uh, thank everyone for their cooperation in being here. And uh, what I'd like to do is recess our hearing and move to a very, very quick business meeting if we could and thank all of you. I know that it doesn't mean much to many of us here in some ways to confirm these nominees. It means a whole lot to them, okay? And it means a tremendous amount to the countries that they are going to. So I thank you. And so the business meeting of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. On the agenda today are nine nominees. Uh, Senator Menendez, would you like to make any comments? Mr. Chairman, I'll introduce my remarks to the record. I, I support all of the nominees. Okay. Anyone else like to? Seeing no comments, I have received a letter to hold over the nomination of Mr. Francisco Luis Palmiera to be ambassador to Honduras. Um, he did just, by the way, uh, his written answers just did come in, but apparently I know that one of our members here was not able to read those yet, so we'll consider him next time. So we'll now consider uh, all the other items on the agenda, including the following. Ms. Linda Blanchard to be ambassador to Slovenia. The, the Honorable Earl Robert Miller to be ambassador to Bangladesh. Mr. Daniel Rosenblum to be ambassador to Uzbekistan. Mr. Kip Tom to be U.S. representative to the United Nations Agencies for Food and Agriculture. Ms. Karen Williams to be ambassador to the Republic of Suriname. The, the Honorable Donald Yamato to be ambassador to Somalia. Mr. Kevin Sullivan to be ambassador to Nicaragua. Mr. Mark Rosen to be U.S. Executive Director of the International <coughs> Monetary Fund. Uh, Fund. Is there a motion to favorably report these nominations on block by voice vote? Second. 
So moved and seconded the questions on the motion to report favorably. The nominations, all in favor will say aye. Aye. Opposed? With that, the ayes have it and the nominations are agreed to. That completes the committee's business. I ask unanimous consent that staff be authorized to make technical and conforming changes without objection so ordered. And with that, without objection, the business meeting will adjourn and we will begin again uh, the hearing. And I thank all those for being here. Um, you completed your opening statement, I think. So let me move to another part. Our first witness today is the Honorable Andrea Thompson, Undersecretary for State for Arms Control and International Security. Um, we had a chance to speak in the back, but thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise with us. Our second witness is the Honorable David Trachtenberg, Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. I shared the same with you. Thank you both. Um, if you could summarize in about five minutes any written materials you have without uh, Objection will be entered into the record. We thank you again for being here. It's an important hearing. And if you could just begin in the order introduced, I'd appreciate it. Good morning, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Menendez, and distinguished members of the committee. Thank you for hosting this hearing and welcoming me here today to discuss arms control with Russia, a topic that is central to our security and indeed the world's. The 2018 Nuclear Posture Review states, quote, progress in arms control <clears throat> excuse me, is not an end in and of itself and depends on the security environment and the participation of willing partners, end quote. The value of any arms control agreement is derived from our treaty partners maintaining compliance with their obligations and avoiding actions that result in mistrust and the potential for miscalculation. Russia continues to violate a series of arms control obligations that undermine the trust the United States can place in treaties, including some that have served U.S. and allied security interests for years. As reflected in the administration's national security strategy and echoed in our national defense strategy, great power competition is reemerging. We can no longer be complacent in the face of challenges by geostrategic competitors. We need to be creative and flexible in how we approach and manage our strategic competition with Russia. And that includes an evaluation of where we stand with respect to our arms control agreements and their interrelationship with our deterrence and defense requirements. I'll begin with the New START Treaty. In February of this year, both countries confirmed compliance with the treaty's central limits on ICBMs, SLBMs, and heavy bombers and their associated warheads. We are committed to implementing the treaty and ensuring Russia stays in compliance. I know this committee has sought the administration's view of extending the treaty. No decision's been made at this time. Meanwhile, Russia has persisted in its violation of the INF Treaty through Russia's SSC-8 ground launch cruise missile program. This administration has utilized new diplomatic, economic, and military measures to pressure Russia to return to compliance. The lack of any meaningful steps by Russia to do so diminishes our hope that it wants to preserve the INF Treaty. As we have said many times, the status quo is unsustainable and our patience is not unlimited. On chemical weapons, Russia has blocked every effort to compel the Assad regime to stop using chemical weapons. Russia too is a perpetrator of chemical weapons use with its brazen assassination attempt against the Skripals in Salisbury, UK in March using a Novichuk chemical agent. We recently imposed the first round of sanctions on Russia required by the Chemical and Biological Weapons Control and Warfare Elimination Act. We have been clear with Moscow that we will continue to execute our mandate under this law. 
Meanwhile, the United States and our NATO allies, as reinforced in the 2018 Brussels Declaration, remain committed to preserving, strengthening, and modernizing the existing Euro-Atlantic conventional arms control regimes and confidence and security building mechanisms. The Department of State also continues to lead efforts to push back against Russia's troubling behavior in space. Of particular concern, Russia has launched experimental satellites that conduct sophisticated on-orbit activities at least some of which are intended to advance counter space capabilities. And finally, I would also note that our sanctions policy is an important tool in maintaining pressure on Moscow to abandon its malign activities. We assess that our global campaign to implement Section 231 of the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act 2017, or CATSA, has denied Russia's defense sector several billion dollars in lost sales as states abandon pending arms deals with Moscow. The Department of State remains committed to the ongoing full implementation of CATSA Section 231. In all, Russia's destabilizing actions include significant transgressions in its adherence to international obligations, namely arms control treaties and agreements. This has created a trust deficit that leads the United States to question Russia's commitment to arms control as a way to manage and stabilize our strategic relationship and promote greater transparency and predictability. Russia must take its commitments more seriously if we are find ways to shift our relationship to a more stable path. Thank you for the opportunity to discuss these critical issues with you, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Thank you. Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Menendez, and distinguished members, thank you for the opportunity to testify on the current state of arms control with Russia. I will not repeat much of what Undersecretary Thompson has already discussed, the bottom line is that arms control with Russia is troubled because the Russian Federation apparently believes it need only abide by the agreements that suit it. As a result, the credibility of all international agreements with Russia is at risk. The United States is committed to its long-held arms control, non-proliferation, and nuclear security objectives, particularly our commitment to the goals of the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. Arms control can contribute to U.S. security by helping to manage strategic competition among states, and we are committed to meaningful arms control that decreases the chances of misperception, miscalculation, and conflict. The Nuclear Posture Review acknowledges that progress in arms control is not an end in and of itself. The current security environment makes arms control extremely challenging in the near term. Any future arms control arrangement must be pursued in the context of the broader security environment and must include the participation of willing partners. It is difficult to envision progress in a security environment that is currently threatened by Russia's continuing non-compliance with existing arms control obligations and commitments. In this regard, Russia poses a series of challenges that do not lend themselves to conditions suitable for the greater trust necessary to engage in a prudent arms control agenda. It would be irresponsible to ignore these infractions and not hold Russia responsible for its violations. As a reliable ally and partner, the United States must advocate for arms control agreements that make the world more secure and include the willing participation and compliance of all parties. With respect to New START, the United States assesses that Russia is in compliance with the New START Treaty. Both sides met the New START Treaty's central limits in February of this year, and I can assure you that the United States will faithfully implement and verify Russian compliance with the treaty. Moving forward, the United States will consider whether to extend New Star Treaty beyond its February 2021 expiration. Any decision 
on extending the treaty will and should be based on a realistic assessment of whether the New START treaty remains in our national security interest in light of overall Russian arms control behavior. On INF, the Russian Federation remains in violation of its obligations under the INF treaty. We have been more than patient and have provided Russia with ample opportunities to come back into compliance, but to no avail. This administration's determination of Russia's violation is no different than the one first announced in July of 2014. We reviewed the intelligence and came to the same conclusion as our predecessors. The evidence is conclusive, the violation is real, and it goes against the core purpose and restrictions of the INF Treaty. This administration has sought to preserve the viability of the treaty by applying pressure on Russia to return to compliance with its obligations. We believed it was in the national security interest of the United States and in our allies and partners' interest to preserve the INF Treaty, but we recognized that Russia ultimately would determine whether the INF Treaty remains viable. One thing is certain, we cannot allow our treaty partner to continue to violate a core tenet of the INF Treaty indefinitely, and we will not let our actions or inaction occur at the expense of our security or that of our allies and partners. For the last year, the Department of Defense has reviewed and evaluated systems it could develop if it were not constrained by the INF Treaty. The identification of these capabilities seeks to remind Russia of why it entered into the INF Treaty in the first place. We appreciate the efforts of Congress to help the Department of Defense implement these research and development efforts. Regardless of whether Russia returns to compliance with the INF Treaty, there are broader implications for the future of arms control due to the lack of trust that has been created by Russia. It is difficult to envision a way forward for the United States and Russia to rebuild that trust and achieve a level of transparency that could lead to a brighter future for arms control the onus to, to create the conditions for this trust falls on both the United States and Russia, but Moscow will bear the burden should these efforts fail as Russia's actions created the situation we currently find ourselves in. Mr. Chairman, we appreciate the opportunity uh, to testify the attention of this committee and the rest of Congress to these issues, and we will keep you informed of developments. Uh, thank you again, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Thank, thank you both for your opening comments and your service. Uh, as the norm, I'm going to turn to our ranking member with all my time for interjections. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chairman, before I go to questions, I just want to make a comment. Uh, the question of, of how we wrote DASCA was not for just jurisdictional purposes. It was written in a way to be comprehensive enough to deal with all of Russia's malign activities. So I don't want you to think that it was just a strategic purpose. Uh, <clears throat> let me uh, just ask. Uh, uh, both of you, on the topic of arms control, can you tell us what was discussed during the two-hour closed meeting with President Trump and President Putin? Thank you, Senator. I can't tell you the specifics of what was discussed in Helsinki. I can tell you that arms control was a topic of a conversation. Uh, we've since had dialogue with our Russian counterparts. Uh, last month in August, uh, NSA Bolton met with his counterpart. Uh, the Foreign Minister Lavrov and Secretary Pompeo have had multiple discussions, uh, and I'd ha I've had discussions as well. So arms control remains a dialogue. So is there, as, as the Russian ambassador said, verbal agreements? Did verbal agreements get entered into? And if so, what are they? I, I'm not aware of any agreements other than continuing to dialogue, Senator. Uh, so, so, so it was discussed, and, and you know this by virtue of what? I know it was discussed based on feedback uh, through senior representatives in the State Department. Uh, senior representatives, can you define that for me? 
uh, discussions of those that were uh, in attendance at the debrief with Ambassador Huntsman. Uh -huh. Let me uh, ask, is there anything different that you can add to that, Mr. Trachtman? Uh, no, Senator. Uh, I'm unaware of any uh, agreements that were reached. Uh, do you agree that Congress has given a directive that links our nuclear modernization program with maintaining a strategic arms control process? Uh, I agree that both are indeed important. Uh, but do you agree that Congress has basically set that forth as a link? I agree that that was part of the discussion in the ratification debate over the New START Treaty. In if New START disappears and the limitations on Russian forces lapse, what would the implications be for U.S. national security and that of our allies? I'm sorry, Senator. If New START disappears and the limitations on Russian forces lapse, what would be the implications for U.S. national security and that of our allies? Uh, from the Department of Defense perspective, I can tell you that that is one of the, uh, one of the issues that we are currently considering, uh, both within the interagency and uh, with our allies and partners or, as, as well. But you don't have any, you can't give this committee at this point in time any sense of the consequences of that? Uh, I, uh, I would say, Senator, that uh, the, the issue of New START, uh, which uh, runs until uh, 2021, uh, is an issue that uh, we are very, very much engaged in, in terms of consultations and, and in terms of implications. You're exactly correct to focus well, on Would we require a much larger and more expensive force? Uh, I cannot say that at this time. Yep. So, wait a minute. This worries me. The Department of Defense is the one that always supposedly plans ahead. You don't wait for a situation to happen and then figure out what you're going to do. So if the... You, you must be thinking as a contingency that if New START lapses and there is no follow-on, uh, clearly to say that what, what do we do then? Are you going to tell us that don't, you don't believe that it would require a larger and more expensive nuclear force? Uh, Senator, uh, the implications of whether New START continues or whether it lapses uh, are still under discussion. Uh, the, the Department of Defense plans for all kinds of contingencies uh, and considers uh, well, all I kinds of I find it incredible that you can't tell this committee at this point in time what the possibilities would mean. I mean, I, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure that out. Let me ask you, Ms. Thompson, let me go through a series of statements here. In congressional testimony, senior military officials such as Air Force General John Hyten the commander of the U.S. Strategic Command responsible for all nuclear forces and Vice Chairman General Paul Salva, Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a voice enthusiastic support for the New START Treaty. So let me go through a, a series of questions. If you can just give me a simple yes or no. Can the United States meet all of our current deterrence requirements with a force at or slightly below the levels of the New START Treaty? Yes or no? We are currently meeting our obligations, Senator. I'm sorry? We are currently meeting our obligations. So, so we, the answer is yes, that we can meet our requirements with a force at or slightly below the levels of the new START Treaty. Again, Senator, we have met our central limits, and so we're meeting That's our not obligations. Good, but, you know, the reason we have witnesses here is, is to give us answers to the questions that we pose. That's not the question I pose to you. Let me try another one. These are relatively simple. Does the new START Treaty force the United States to cut back any of our current nuclear modernization efforts? Yes or no? I would say that, uh, no, it, can, it is. Well, thank you. Now, does this New START Treaty limit in any way our missile defenses? Yes or no? I would defer to Department of Defense, sir. 
Uh, no, Senator, it does not. Do you agree that the New START Treaty meets the standard put forward in the Nuclear Posture Review for Arms Control Treaties and that it fosters transparency, understanding, predictability in relations with Russia, thereby reducing the risk of misunderstanding and miscalculation? I would say that transparency uh, and verification requirements in the New START Treaty are a benefit. Let me try one more time, my time's expired. Do you believe that it meets the standard, the New START Treaty meets the standard put forward in our nuclear posture review? Senator, I believe it meets the requirements we have today. Well, thank you. I wanna use the first minute of my time to say that uh, having written the two amendments myself with both missile defense and modernization that there was a connection um, in the resolution of ratification. We made sure that while we were going to reduce the amount of warheads and our ability to deliver them, we also wanted to modernize um, because there was a huge savings in not keeping this massive inventory spread throughout our country and not knowing whether they actually operate or not. Huge savings in going ahead and modernizing. So the two worked hand in hand and uh, uh, we passed those amendments on the floor. I actually gave other people's names on them, trying to draw them onto the treaty, in some cases successful, in some cases not. But there was no doubt a tie between the two. And, uh, and it's been very important. Um, it's been very important. The essence of this is that the modernization piece and the reduction in warheads piece uh, go hand in hand. So, I mean, I think that's self-evident and has been central to the entire agreement. With that, Senator Paul. Thank you for your testimony. Um, Ms. Thompson, you mentioned that there are ongoing uh, discussions with the Russians, both at your level, the level of the National Security Council director, as well as uh, Secretary of State. Do we also have some sort of permanent organization? Do the treaties set up some kind of a structure where there's ongoing, like where each side can express their uh, contention that the other side is in, in violation of the treaty? Is there, is, there a, is there an actual body of people who meet regularly? There are, there are Senator. Uh, for example, the, with the INF Treaty, we've had, uh, during my time here, uh, one experts meeting during the course of the administration. There's been two experts meetings. Uh, we have the, the BCC, the Bilateral Consultative Commission, uh, that gets together on the new start. So each treaty has an organization of experts within our respective governmental representatives that meet. Right. So when we brought forward, um, and are these separate sort of agencies or entities? Does INF treaty organization have one for disputes, and then New Start has one? They're different. So for the state, it's all together, or how's for, it work? For the State Department, those representatives all come under my purview. Um, in different bureaus, but the, their experts reside within the State Department, with also with partners uh, with DOE, Department of Defense as well. So you said you've met once in the last year, that group? For, for the INF <clears throat> experts meeting. And then there'll be another meeting coming up uh, that's scheduled or what? They, yes, sir. They, uh, they're fairly regular, uh, regular in the sense of some of the treaties are annually, uh, some are biannually, some are right. uh, in conjunction with other conferences, but we have an open line of communication for so, each of them. So we believe them to be in violation of the INF Treaty. They also complain and say some of our launchers are in violation as well. That's correct. Um, 
do you think that this can be uh, worked out through discussion that we are at a point uh, where there could be uh, a resolution of these things that both sides might have to give a little bit on this or do we just acknowledge that we there's no way we're in violation of anything we haven't had progress thus far i'd say that we have a interagency process it's looking through that now on what are some of the options that we have available all right but it seems to me and a lot of this is very detailed whether or not something technically is in violation or not that it seems like an openness to having discussion and ongoing discussion is important uh, now both of you acknowledge that the new start treaty we are in compliance with um, and yet both of you seem to be the tenor is that you're very concerned could we even go forward because they're in violation of so many other treaties and INMF, et cetera. And I guess my, my only concern is, is that, um, you know, with the Iran agreement, everybody kept saying they're in compliance with the Iran agreement, Iran's in compliance, but we were still unhappy about other things Iran was doing. And I think there are some similarities here that, um, Many of us think the New START Treaty was an advantage and that it brought down the threat of nuclear weapons. We have less nuclear weapons and that there were good things that came from New START. I guess my concern is that we could be throwing all of that out and saying, well, they're violating the INF or they're violating this, you know, conventional forces treaty and all these other treaties and we don't like all the stuff they're doing, which is true, but I worry that we just throw then the New START Treaty out. And so I hope that people will think about, uh, we try to get the best that we can and we negotiate from a position of strength, but uh, I'm concerned that we would just say simply, well, just start over. And it's not always that easy. I think the Iran agreement will actually be very difficult to start again from the very beginning, you know, instead of starting with what are we complying on and going to our differences, let's don't throw everything out. Let's start with what we're complying on. If New START is working, maybe we then look at the INF. And uh, that's the only uh, caution that I would have in looking at this. And that also just to say that uh, at least our office, we're very interested in what goes on with these and would like to have you come in and talk to some more to us about uh, how the meetings are going, what the differences are and what the possibilities of resolving things are. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Cardin. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Let me thank our, our witnesses. Um, Ms. Thompson, I think the understatement in your written statement about Russia has taken action over the past few years that have posed real challenges to our bilateral relationship and widened the deficit of trust we have with Russia. I think all of us would say that that is um, a major concern. And, and we look at our relationship with Russia on the nuclear front, and we recognize that New START gives us the opportunity to do the inspections, not only on active sites, but also those sites that are not active. So we, we really do get to see with our own people what's going on in Russia, which is extremely valuable. We also have the fact that Russia is in compliance, we're in compliance with the New START Treaty. And then, as Senator Paul has said, we know in INF that Russia is in violation with what they have developed on land-based missiles. Uh, and you are using the enforcement mechanisms under the INF which, and diplomacy, which I strongly agree, and not withdrawing from the INF, which I think would be a disaster, uh, because it would only isolate us more from what Russia is doing. And uh, we have taken countermeasures through a submarine-based uh, uh, defense system in regards to what Russia is doing on land. So we've taken, we're taking our steps compli in compliance with the INF in order to make sure that we are secure. My point is that in response to Senator Menendez's question, I thought I was surprised I didn't hear a stronger statement as to the national security importance of both the New START and INF. 
we know North Korea has a nuclear program. What we don't know is the specifics, because we don't have inspections. We don't, we don't have eyes on the ground. We don't know exactly what's going on in that country. And yes, we have international inspections now of, of Iran, but not with the United States participation. So we are somewhat limited in understanding what's going on in Iran. But at least in Russia, we have that capacity to understand their program because of the New START Treaty. So I, I just really want, and we know this administration has a way of surprising us at times with statements made by the president. So that's one of the reasons we have this hearing. So I would like to get both of your views as to the national security importance to the United States in these tough times with Russia to be able to get our inspectors over in Russia, working with theirs, understanding their nuclear program, the importance of that to the United States national security. Senator Cardin, if I could, uh, uh, as, as I stated, I do believe that the verification and monitoring and on-site inspection provisions provide a level of openness and transparency that is useful and beneficial not just to the United States, uh, but to our allies as well. That said, uh, what I find particularly troubling uh, is the overall nature of uh, Russian arms control behavior uh, and what the Russians seem to be doing in terms of selectively complying with various provisions of treaties and selectively non-complying with others when they feel it's not in their interest. It is that overall kind of behavior that I think from a national security perspective, we at least need to consider. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I agree with what you're saying. My concern is that sometimes we do knee-jerk reactions in this administration, and that it, if we give up our ability to be able to have our inspectors in Russia because of a violation of the INFs leads to the end of New START, I think it's not in our national security interest to do that. And I'm hoping to get a little bit broader response from you as to the importance of our current relationship with Russia on nuclear as it relates to more the transparency that you referred to, which is clearly in our interest, we can counter their violations without pulling out of the agreement. We've already done that at INF. Modernization program, as the chairman pointed out, we can still do that. We can do our missile defense, and we're not in violation of New START or INF. So we, we, can, we can stay in compliance with the treaties without pulling out. Yes, we're not satisfied where Russia is today, we have mechanisms to try to counter that through direct enforcement and mechanisms within the agreements, as well as our own nuclear program and our own defense programs in order to counter what Russia is doing. Isn't that a fair statement? I think uh, you're exactly correct that we do have mechanisms, indeed. Uh, where, where I might differ somewhat, uh, Senator, is uh, I believe we're taking a deliberate approach uh, to our assessment of uh, all of these treaties, including the New Star Treaty, uh, I don't, uh, I don't see this as a, a rush to judgment on the part of the administration's uh, pers perspective on this. And I think it's perfectly, uh, perfectly uh, legitimate and appropriate for us to weigh all of the potential, look at all of the potential implications. I agree with you, but we have a specific responsibility as an independent branch of government, this committee particularly on foreign policy. And I think the American people need to understand how important these treaties are to our national security. And I, I respect that you're going through a deliberative process. I really do. 
but we have seen this administration do things that have not been under a deliberative process, decisions made by our president. And it's important that we have a publicly established record as to the importance of these treaties as it relates to America's national security. And I wish you would be a little bit bolder as to the importance of us maintaining those types of relationships. Thank you. Senator Isaacson. I want to follow up on what Senator Cardin just said and Senator Menendez a minute ago because I think this is an important point. It is for me. When I came to the Senate the first and came to the Foreign Relations Committee, the first legislation of any import at all was the New START Treaty. And I got very involved in it because of, I think, the responsibility it put on me. Because of everything else we dealt with, that was the most important thing we could do, arms control, verification, limitations of arms with us in Russia. And so I got really into the weeds, uh, probably too deep for a real estate salesman to be able to comprehend, but I did anyway. And I finally voted for it. And I did so because it was clearly evident there was no other agreement that we were into with any other adversary or potential adversary or ally in the world that had better verification, better mandated access for the United States of America, and better access for them than us. Am I right on that? I would agree with that, Senator. Well, I want to carry that forward. We did this, uh, uh, I can't remember, what are the, the mess we did with Iran here, as ben, ben said, did not have any verification in it, or the verification in it said we couldn't verify on military basis and things of that nature. It had gaping holes in it, which is why I voted against it, or wanted to vote against it, because it just didn't add anything to our country's security whatsoever. It diminished it in comparison to what we agreed with Russia on the START Treaty. So my, my point is, and I understand, Secretary, you don't want to give away negotiating positions with the Russians. When you answer his question or my question about the START Treaty, you don't want to say anything that would see the point. You might have to negotiate the negotiations. But I, I too, agree with what he said. We ought to be a little bit more pro-continuing the benefits the START Treaty gives us rather than getting the idea there might be some way we'd get out of it. Because I think knowledge and access is tremendous. We have no notice access. We have Russians in the United States who have access to come inspect our sites, us in, the, in Russia. Uh, we have a unique hologram system to, to on the warheads so we can count the warheads and what they can do and where they are. We can catch them and then catch us. I mean, it's, if, we, if we just insisted at the table with the Iranians, we have a treaty on nuclear weapons with Russia, the two largest nuclear powers in the world. We want to put those verifications in our agreement with you, Iran. And we'll let Iran, you have to come and be able to inspect ours, and we want to come in and inspect yours. Unfettered, no access. It was a perfect, perfect predicate to do that. Secretary Kerry decided not to do it in that way, but it would have been a great way to get that foot in the door. So all I'm trying to say is when you get, when you get worried about compromising your future by talking about what you might get out of if you didn't like it, you run the risk of letting them think they could get out from under the responsibility it puts on them. And they'd be a lot more willing to take advantage of it than, than we would. I just wanted to make that point. Second point, um, and uh, I would like to ask both of you to ask, ask this question. On the Space Force, when uh, the Vice President announced the Space Force and the President's announced the Space Force, and you acknowledge some of the experimentation the Russians have done in space uh, of, of a de defensive nature, but potentially offensive as well, would you, uh, would you equalize the Space Force enthusiasm that you've seen so far in our government, government day to be equal to what was the missile defense system of the Reagan administration? 
Senator Isaacson, I don't think we're currently considering a missile defense capability similar to what was proposed during the Reagan administration, but in terms of the, in terms of the space force, space force uh, the Department of Defense is certainly committed to uh, go, going forward and implementing uh, the, uh, the vision expressed by the President uh, and uh, the Vice President also in terms of moving out, uh, moving out expeditiously and appropriately to, uh, to develop those capabilities, given the importance of space to our national defense. I was hoping that was going to be your answer because when, when you'd addressed it in your remarks, and I've seen some of the other pieces and read some of the stuff about it, the Space Force is the, is the modern-day answer to the missile defense system that Reagan used. Reagan used missile defense as an idea for the future. It scared the hell out of the Russians and, in fact, led to their spending on defense, which put them in the difficulty they fell into in the early 1990s when they did it. So I think having the Space Force recognized as a future addition to our defense or offense militarily and, and diplomatically, is as e equally good a potential tool as missile defense was in its infancy and has been since. And I, I applaud the administration's boldness in doing that, and I hope it will be something that's a meaningful tool and not a paper tiger. With that, I yield back, Mr. Thank you. Chairman. Thank, thank you. Senator Shaheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you both for being here to testify this afternoon or this morning. Um, I want to go back to the INF Treaty because you both pointed out Russia's violation. I agree with Senator Cardin's point that it's not in our interest to withdraw from the INF Treaty. I don't think that helps solve the Russia problem. But what other options are being considered to try and push the Russians to comply, to again comply with the INF Treaty? Are there things that you can talk about that have been looked at that we might not yet have tried? Thank you, Senator. Uh, I can assure you that we've used diplomatic means, we've used economic means. Uh, through DOD, we've used military means to get the, try to will them back into uh, compliance, fulfill their obligations that they set out when they signed the treaty. Um, so can you discuss the specifics of what those diplomatic and military means are? I, I would prefer to tell you that we are in an interagency process now and looking at holistically throughout uh, the Russia strategy. I wouldn't want to get into specifics as yet because we're still in the developmental stages of that. And so do I take from that that we're actually considering options that haven't been tried yet? Yes, ma'am, that'd be a fair assessment. Um, the Nuclear Posture Review, I, I guess this is for you, um, Ambassador Trachtenberg. It, it claims that the other nuclear-armed states have modernized their nuclear arsenals far more extensively than the United States, so that both China and Russia have. Um, do you share that view, and what do we need to do in order to be able to catch up to both of them if we're behind? Uh, I, I do, Senator. Uh, certainly in the case of Russia, which is the focus of our discussion today, uh, the Russians have for years been engaged in a very uh, extensive strategic modernization program, not only of their strategic nuclear forces and systems, but of their non-strategic nuclear weapons uh, and systems as well. Uh, that is, uh, I would argue, far outpaced what the United States has done to date. I agree with the earlier comments that were made 
in terms of the importance of the U.S. modernization program. Uh, over the years, we have reduced the levels of our nuclear stockpile by some 85% since the height of the Cold War. Uh, but uh, we do need to, to pursue the modernization program that has been referred to earlier. The uh, United States has not uh, built a new nuclear weapon in uh, many, many years. Russia, we know, has. Uh, China has. Uh, other nuclear, uh, nuclear weapon states have. So I, I do see a discrepancy there, and I would uh, completely agree with the conclusions reached in the nuclear posture review. So one of the things that Senator Corker part pointed out was that part of the agreement around New START was the modernization piece, but the idea was that we would continue to modernize, and I think there's some funding and um, the current appropriations and, um, and authorization in the NDAA bill that were passed that would allow us to look at some other modernization capabilities. Um, but they were also supposed to go hand in hand with continued efforts to reduce the number of nuclear weapons. Can you talk about what's been done in the last 20 months of this administration that would um, point to efforts to further reduce nuclear weapons? Well, I can tell you, Senator, that we have reduced to the point uh, where uh, we are in compliance with all of our arms control obligations, in particular the new start totals, uh, which have put, uh, of course, uh, limitations on uh, three systems, the number of deployed strategic weapons, uh, and the number of deployed uh, strategic nuclear delivery vehicles, the ICBMs, bombers, and submarines, as well as uh, the total number of deployed and non-deployed systems. So well, we have taken those uh, obligations seriously. And so can you talk about how much of that has been done since um, the current administration took office? Uh, I don't have the figures in front of me. Uh, I'd be happy to take that for the record and get back to you. That would be great. Thank you. Um, if you would share it with the entire committee, that would be helpful. Um, last week, it was reported that the United States refused to certify the new Russian Tu-214 aircraft for flights under the Treaty on Open Skies. We were the only one of 23 nations to vote no. Um, can you talk about why I'm not sure? I think this is probably for you. Um, Ms. Thompson, can you talk about why we took that position? Yes, Senator. We had technical experts uh, along with uh, over 20 other countries and the certification for the Russian censor. Uh, we, brought, we didn't fail to certify. We came back and uh, had to consult with some uh, additional uh, technical experts, and I'd anticipate we will have a decision on that within the next 24 hours. We have, we have not, not certified, uh, and we'll probably, uh, well, we, we will have a decision in the next 24 hours. And I'm out of time, but, but if we if we think we should not certify this aircraft, will we not ar also argue with some of our allies and those other 23 nations that they also should not certify it? Yes, ma'am, there, there is a set process on those deliberations, uh, but again, within the next 24 hours, uh, you'll have an answer for the certification. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Ray. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, first of all, thank you both of you for what you do. I, I think uh, it's been said several times here today that what you do is some of the most important work that our country does as far as our national security and keeping us safe. Having said that, uh, trying to negotiate with people who aren't negotiating in good faith is a problem. And so you both have, uh, have a heavy lift ahead of you. Um, I was one of the ones, indeed I led the effort to, to not uh, ratify the new start. Uh, not because I don't believe we, we should deal with the Russians. I think we have to deal with the Russians. Um, I, uh, I just 
as I think a lot of us today, don't have any confidence whatsoever that they're dealing in good faith. Uh, they're serial cheaters, they're serial liars, uh, and uh, you have to look at the other things that they're doing in the world to judge what kind of a mind these people have as far as whether they're acting in good faith. So having said that, um, the reason uh, I oppose the, uh, the original New Start was simply because I believed that uh, it didn't give us the uh, inspections, the confidence that we needed uh, to get to where we wanted to be. I thought there was more we could do. And uh, we, obviously we can't talk about here. Uh, uh, there are uh, covert things that we can do uh, to verify in addition to the things that are, that are included in the treaty, and they do the same thing. Uh, but having said that, as we move, as, as we look forward to renegotiating the, uh, the treaty when it expires, are there preparations being made as to how we could ratchet up our game as far as uh, being able to verify uh, the things that we suspect and probably know in some instances that they're doing, but that we can't even tell them that we know because it would disclose methods uh, and sources. But uh, are, are, are there, uh, is there, a thought process going into this as to how we're going to up our game, Andrea, or Ms. Thompson? Yes, Senator. There's a rigorous interagency process ongoing. Uh, all, all options are on the table as we bring in technical expertise on what we know, what we don't know, how we can fill those gaps. Again, diplomatically from our end, militarily from the, uh, the Defense Department, uh, economically from our agencies as well, on what are things that haven't been tried before, what are some options, and that process is ongoing. Uh, Mr. Tackenberg, do you have anything to add to that? No, I would. Uh, I would agree with that, Senator. I would also agree uh, with your uh, with with your earlier comments as well in terms of uh, uh, the New Star Treaty. And uh, I I would make this point. Of course, when the New Star Treaty was negotiated in 2010, uh, at the time we had hoped that it would sort of represent a new relationship uh, with the Russian Federation, uh, and uh, would lead to broader cooperation. Uh, uh, on, a, on a number of fronts. Since that time, what we've seen uh, is, a, is a clear deterioration in our, our relationship with Russia. Uh, though we would like uh, the situation to be different, uh, we are, uh, and in fact, uh, I believe to use uh, Ranking Member Menendez's words earlier, we must be clear-eyed about the threats that we face. Uh, this administration is trying to be just that uh, in looking at uh, arms control uh, in the context of our overall relationship with Russia. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, that that's the view. Uh, uh, sir, you're, you're absolutely right about the deterioration, and, uh, and that deterioration uh, should make us think about how we're going to approach this uh, as we uh, go forward in trying to, to renegotiate. In, in addition to the other things that they've done, the poisonings and everything else that they've done, uh, watching them uh, uh, manufacture excuses as to why they're not complying, manufacture accusations against us that we're not complying on certain things, uh, really uh, uh, cries out uh, to have us up our game in how we're going to approach this uh, uh, on a new START treaty. So, again, thank you for your work, and uh, I hope uh, I, I hope we will approach it differently this time than we did last time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Udall. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you uh, both for being here. 
um, Secretary um, Trachtenberg, part of the support for ratifying the new start, I want to focus a little on that, that others have talked about, was that it allowed certain weapons to be updated while also achieving overall reduction in the number of arms both the United States and Russia possess. The national labs located in my home state of New Mexico play a vital role in fulfilling these updates or life extension programs. President Trump has said he wants to strengthen and expand the U.S. nuclear arsenal. Now, while certain life extension programs are allowed under New START, building new weapons and not drawing down the overall number of weapons in our arsenal would go against the treaty. Can you clarify the President's position on what he means by strengthen and expand? Uh, Senator, I believe uh, the best articulation of our policy with respect to uh, our nuclear arsenal going forward can be found in the nuclear posture review that was released in January. Uh, and, and I think what we are talking about, uh, as, as, I, uh, as I mentioned previously, was... Well, the, could you focus on the strengthen and expand? If, they, if it was in the, the nuclear posture review, sure. tell and, me and what, what, the nuclear, what we mean What the, what the nuclear posture review said specifically was, was that what we are looking to do is to have a modern, resilient, and capable nuclear force that is capable of effectively uh, deterring uh, attack or, or aggression against the United States or our interests. I want to be very clear about this. What we are looking at uh, in uh, connection with our nuclear forces uh, is to preserve the efficacy of our deterrent capability. Uh, this, is all, this is all about deterrence, and the Nuclear Posture Review, I believe, makes that clear. And so all of our efforts related to modernization of our capabilities while we, in fact, proceed with the necessary reductions of older systems uh, are done with a view toward maintaining the, uh, the, uh, the efficacy of our overall nuclear deterrent. That is job number one. Now, we, we talked earlier about the meeting in Helsinki between uh, President Trump and, and Russian President Putin. Uh, were there, what specific arms control issues were discussed there? Uh, Senator, I know that the topic writ large was raised. Uh, my belief is, well, as, I, uh, as I've been briefed, the specifics uh, were not addressed. It was in general terms of the importance of two nuclear-capable uh, countries that we need to remain open to dialogue between our respective teams uh, to ensure that their obligations are met. Now, in, in August, a Russian document listing arms control topics for discussion at the July summit between President Trump and President Putin was leaked to the press. According to the document, Putin spoke with President Trump about extending New START for five years and about reaffirming commitment to the INF Treaty. Can you confirm whether or not Putin raised these topics with President Trump? I cannot, Senator. Can you? Uh, no, Senator, I cannot. So those weren't, when you talked about the knowledge you had was from the briefing that um, the ambassador had, you weren't, were you weren't given any instructions with regard to those? Correct, Senator. And there weren't any, were there any tasks that came out from the meeting with the, um, um, the ambassador to say, these are the things we have to do flowing out of the summit? I didn't receive any specific taskings, no, sir. What, what's the status of DOD's research and development on conventional ground-launched intermediate-range missile systems? 
Uh, Senator, we are, we are continuing to work on the research and development based on the congressional guidance that we received, uh, which uh, we very much appreciate. I believe there has been uh, about $48 million that has been uh, set aside for research and development of a conventional uh, ground-launched cruise missile. Uh, the research and development portion of that is entirely compliant uh, with the INF Treaty. If we were to go forward and actually deploy such a system, uh, then uh, that would be, uh, that would, uh, be non-compliant with the INF Treaty. So no decision, of course, has been made at this time. How, how much money has DOD spent on this effort to date? Uh, I would have to get you the exact figure, Senator. Could you do that for the Absolutely. record, please? Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you very much, Senator Rubio. Thank you. Thank you both for being here. Uh, in that March speech, uh, Vladimir Putin, he unveiled these new weapons. He referred to them over a dozen times strategic at least in the Kremlin's English translation. And uh, these new kinds of nuclear arms include hypersonic nuclear cruise missiles, nuclear-powered ballistic missiles, nuclear torpedoes shot from drone submarines. Uh, Undersecretary Thompson, I'm glad that you acknowledged in your prepared testimony that the U.S. has to reckon with, and I quote, I think this is right out of your statement, whether or not Russia's recently announced strategic nuclear weapons will be held accountable under, end quote, the New START Treaty. So let me ask, does, just to clarify, is it the position of the United States that we consider the weapons that were previewed in the speech that are under development and he announced in March, the hypersonic nuclear cruise missiles, the nuclear-powered ballistic missiles, the 100-megaton nuclear torpedoes shot from drone submarines and the like, do we consider those to be strategic nuclear weapons covered under the START Treaty? Senator, I would defer to my technical experts uh, for the, the firm answer on that. My initial read is uh, they would count as strategic weapons. Well, can I ask, have the Russians notified any of these new kinds of strategic nuclear arms uh, featured in that speech to the bilateral consultative, consultative commission? They've or not been raised through the formal process, no, sir. Have we asked them to do so? Uh, not to my knowledge, but I can check again on what uh, occurred uh, and it wasn't as if I read the results from the INF technical experts meeting. Uh, that wasn't raised, and we haven't had discussions on specifics of new stars. So as far as you know, no one yet has raised with the Russians from our side. We saw your speech. We saw your, what you're talking about developing. We believe that needs to be uh, noticed and notified. Those were not notified. The only way we've seen those is in the open press that you addressed. No, I know they haven't been notified. Has anyone from our government asked them? express to them our belief that it is their obligation to notify it based on what we saw them describe. I have not done so, Senator. Why not? We have not had the engagement on New START with my counterpart, but I will take that back and... Your, count, your counterpart on the Russian side? Correct. But beyond that, there are other ways beyond that. You're saying there's been no engagement at all whatsoever. There aren't other channels by which this could be raised, even through a public statement of some sort? We've had engagement, Senator, but because it was an unofficial press report and not through official channels, we still have some uh, intelligence to gather on that to confirm, deny. As we've seen what before was a Putin's speech. Putin, That's pretty official. Uh, Senator, as we have seen before from the rhetoric from President Putin, uh, what he says isn't necessarily uh, ground truth. Yeah, I'm not saying that whether or not some of this was built on hyperbole or not. My point is... If um, he gave a speech, he described these weapons, you would think that someone in the, in the United States government would say to them, hey, we saw the speech by your Putin guy, and um, if that's true, you need to notify that. That would violate START. Senator, we're taking action on it. We haven't done it through the formal New START process with our counterparts. 
Okay. Well, it doesn't sound like any action has been taken yet in regards to that. We've taken, we've taken action, Senator, within our own community, not through the formal process. Within, you mean you've talked to each other about it? Senator, as a former intelligence officer of 28 years, um, we have a practice of information isn't necessarily intelligence until it's confirmed. So we're working with our agencies and partners and allies to confirm if that information is Yeah, I, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that we should tell them, hey, we know you have something. Okay. All I'm saying is he gave a speech. He described a series of weapons who, if, if they were developed at any point in the future, would fall under the START Treaty as a strategic weapon. And you would think someone would say, hey, we saw your speech. We're not saying we think it's real or not real. But if that is real, you understand you need, that needs to be notified. And you're, you're saying we haven't yet done that. I'm saying that we've looked at it internally. I haven't met with my counterpart on that discussion, but I'll take that back for consideration. All right. Let me ask about INF real quick. Um, the treaty puts limits on us uh, in other theaters outside of Europe. And with other competitors in particular, especially China, that are not covered by it. So I don't know if this who this question is appropriately to, but does the INF treaty as currently structured begin to put us at a strategic disadvantage with respect to China, particularly the Indo-Pacific region? Senator, you raise a good, uh, a good point, and I think that is indeed one of the questions that we are looking at in terms of the overall implications of uh, remaining in compliance with a treaty in which the Russians are in clear violation of. I guess my last question is, and as far as violating the INF Treaty should not be surprising. It is our official position that they are in violation of the INF Treaty. That's correct. Okay. And, and it should not be surprising. Is it not been widely reported now that the Russians have openly both displayed in exercises and through statements made by military officials a doctrine of uh, escalate to de-escalate, including the use in their doctrine of strategic, of, of uh, tactical nuclear weapons in the battlefield? In essence, in order to elevate or in order to exacerbate a crisis, in order to escalate it, in order to then de-escalate a nuclear strike in the battlefield, everybody would stop and it would allow them. So that this, the violation of the INF Treaty and the use of intermediate weapons would be fully consistent with that new doctrine, would it not? Uh, I, I would uh, believe it would be, Senator, absolutely correct, and uh, uh, that, that's why I, I believe it's important that we consider why the Russians are, are violating the INF Treaty in the way they are, uh, because they must see some advantage to doing it, either militarily, <laughs> politically, or, other, or otherwise. Good. Thank you. Senator Murphy. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you both for being here today. Um, following uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton's uh, meeting with his Russian counterpart in Geneva at the end of August, he stated that the administration was in the very, very early stages of a review regarding the pros and cons of extending the treaty. Um, and then he further commented that there were several options available. One was, of course, extending the treaty. Another was renegotiating it. But a third was jettisoning it and pursuing a different kind of approach. And he made a specific reference to the 2002 Moscow Treaty. Um, of course, the Moscow Treaty only limits deployed warheads, and it doesn't include verification provisions. Um, and so to some of us, there's a concern about this specific reference to the Moscow Treaty, given that it doesn't have verification. So um, why did the administration suggest that the Moscow Treaty may be um, a, 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 an option for the path forward on uh, renewing New START. 
Senator, I can assure you, uh, as the, the undersecretary in one of my bureaus is the Arms Control Verification and Compliance Bureau, uh, that whatever treaty that we engage in uh, with our counterparts uh, has the verification uh, within, within it. That's an important part of the treaty. I would never want to speak for Ambassador Bolton, but I can assure you from my team that verification is integrated into the treaties. Senator, if I might, uh, just, just agree with those comments and, uh, and also uh, share your view on, on the importance of verification. I would say uh, I was uh, in the, uh, uh, working uh, in uh, the Defense Department at the time of the Moscow Treaty, uh, and uh, the reason why that treaty did not contain verification measures like most arms control treaties is because we were still operating under the verification provisions in the original START treaty, which did not expire until the end of 2009, so they were still uh, fully in effect. Um, thank you both for those, uh, those answers. Um, uh, stay with you, Secretary Trachtenberg. I wanted to come back to the issue of open skies, and I appreciate um, uh, Senator Shaheen's questions. Separate and aside from this pending issue of uh, this, um, this one certification issue, um, Secretary Mattis wrote a letter to Senator Fisher here uh, indicating that open skies uh, compliance with it is still in U.S. national security interests. Um, do you agree with this statement, despite the fact that we have these ongoing Russian compliance issues? Even with the Russian compliance issues, is this treaty still uh, within national security interest for the United States to remain an active part of? I think the Open Skies Treaty clearly has uh, been in the United States' interest, uh, and uh, certainly because of the transparency it provides, the openness, uh, the level of visibility of uh, what other states are doing that it provides, not only to us, but to our allies as well. Uh, we would much prefer to see the Russians get back into compliance with its provisions. I ask the question because this administration has been in the business of pulling out of um, several uh, important uh, multilateral security agreements, and I think it's important to understand that even given these Russian compliance problems, we can work through them. We hope to be able to work through them uh, within the construct of the existing treaty. Uh, we would, I would agree that we would hope to be able to work with Russia to work through these compliance issues that we have. Uh, what I do find disturbing and troubling, Senator, uh, is the fact that, uh, as I mentioned, that there does seem to be a sort of a pattern of behavior here Agreed. on the part of the Russian Federation uh, that uh, does not bode well, uh, I think, in terms of our desire uh, to take uh, arms control, uh, uh, to uh, uh, take arms control to the next level, so to speak. And, and until Russian behavior changes, uh, or, or at least e even if it doesn't, we need to factor that into our overall consideration of all of these treaties as we look at them to determine what the United States should do going forward. Uh, thank you. Finally, switching topics again, back to you, Secretary Thompson. Um, the Trump administration began talks earlier this year on a civilian nuclear cooperation agreement with Saudi Arabia. Uh, given that you're before the committee, I wondered if you would give us uh, an update um, on the progress with these negotiations, including uh, the last time that the two sides uh, met uh, and uh, a confirmation that the administration continues to seek an agreement that contains the gold standard. Uh, this committee passed a resolution just a few uh, weeks ago Go, once again, expressing our interests that that standard be met to the extent that we eventually reach an agreement with the Saudis. Yes, thank, thank you, Senator. Uh, I can confirm that there are ongoing uh, negotiations between the United States and Saudi Arabia uh, on civil nuclear agreement and the one, two, three. 
I can't address the specifics of the negotiations since those are ongoing, but what I can assure you uh, as the Undersecretary, again, that, that oversees that portfolio, that I always seek the strongest standard in those agreements. Secretary Pompeo said before this committee that uh, we have told Saudi Arabia we want a gold standard Section 123 agreement from them. So can you just confirm that that remains the, um, uh, the bottom line for the administration? Yes, sir, the strongest standard possible. Is that is we 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 have a sense of what a gold standard is uh, here, and we've passed resolution uh, making sure that there are no enrichment or reprocessing uh, abilities for the Saudis. Is that is is the gold standard still the bottom line? Yes, sir. Committed to uh, ensure that the enrichment and reprocessing those technologies do not get proliferated. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you. Before turning to Senator Brass, I'm going to take one more of my minutes. Um, in this conversation with Senator Murphy, you were talking about taking things to the next level and, and what all was happening in the relationship, and I might not have heard you clearly, but if the START Treaty is being complied with and it's yielding the benefits to us of not having to have so many nuclear armaments, not knowing whether they work or not, but focusing on the ones we have and making sure that they do so that they're reliable, um, if it's working for us, we would not consider undoing the Stark Treaty because other treaties are not being adhered to, would we? Senator, I think we're, we're, wherever something is of benefit to U.S. interest, and then the U.S. should uh, continue to uh, uh, adhere to it or, uh, or, or, or seek to move, move, move forward in that respect. The point that I was trying to make uh, was that uh, when looking at the individual treaties, there does appear to be a pattern of Russian behavior overall in terms of its arms control compliance and Russia's willingness to abide by uh, agreements that have already been signed that I think speaks to sort of how the Russians view uh, their approach to arms control in general. Uh, and all I meant to argue was that in our consideration of what is or is not in our interest, uh, we should try to at least take into account uh, how the Russians are viewing arms control uh, and how they are looking at our responses to their violations uh, in terms of determining the uh, overall, uh, overall future uh, for arms control going forward. Senator Barrasso. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, uh, for, for both of you, just, uh, listening to uh, Secretary Trachtenberg, you talked about Russian behavior. A and my concern as a member of this committee and as an American citizen is, is, is more can they or can't they rather than will they or won't they. And so I want to make sure they don't have the capacity to do something, whatever their intentions are, which brings us to the question that Senator Rubio had talked about when he talked about this new uh, strategic nuclear weapon that's reported, uh, I read about it in March, Vladimir Putin said that the weapons include a nuclear-powered cruise missile, a nuclear-powered underwater drone that could be armed with a nuclear warhead, a hypersonic missile. And the, the headline in, uh, in one of the uh, papers uh, said, high-tech weaponry, uh, Russia's new nuclear weapons are technically uh, plausible. And, you know, this is something that, that they could potentially have and you know, I mean, Putin did his boasting, and whether it was just an idle boast or real, uh, I'm concerned. What is our government's assessment of the level of maturity and accuracy of these weapons? Yeah, for either of you. Yes, uh, 
Senator, I cannot speak specifically to the individual systems that President Putin announced. Uh, there are probably some of those that may be more mature than, than others. Uh, I do think it's a worrisome development that he announced these uh, so publicly and made such a presentation of this, uh, which has uh, led us to, you know, to, to wonder why the Russians believe that they need to do this, given the fact that they have already extensively modernized their strategic nuclear arsenal. Uh, so uh, I, I would look at that uh, at this in the context. Uh, to, to some degree, it may be aspirational. To some degree, there may be a, a practical element to some of, to some of these systems. Uh, but I do find it troubling from the standpoint, not only from the standpoint of arms control uh, specifically, but from the standpoint of our overall relationship with Russia, which I, I think we would all like to see improve. And, and then again, along the same line of can they or can't they, then the question is can we or can't we uh, defend against such things? So the question is do we have a current or prospective missile defense system to intercept the possibility of these weapons? Uh, we do not have a missile defense system capable of defending against the Russian strategic nuclear arsenal, nor has it been our policy uh, to do that. Uh, the Russians uh, have a tremendous number uh, of uh, nuclear weapons uh, systems, uh, and uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, that uh, we, we have not pursued an active defense uh, against the full range of Russian strategic weapons. We prefer to rely on our deterrence capability when it, when it comes to Russia. So, so at this point, we're not really having any specific actions that we're taking in response to what they're, what they're doing as opposed to a deterrence, uh, there are other deterrent capacity. Well, we do believe that uh, proceeding with the nuclear modernization program that we have by modernizing all three legs of our nuclear triad, the land-based, sea-based, and air-breathing components, uh, is, uh, is critical in, in order to uh, continue the uh, deterrent effect uh, that, uh, that we rely on. And the Secretary Thompson, you know, um, as the country continues to face threats from around the world, not just Russia, you know, need to take any act, I think we should not take any action that's gonna hinder our own missile defense systems. Uh, we need to always remain in charge, I think, of our missile defense, not Russia or any other country telling us where we can uh, put up and what we can put up in terms of defense. So I have concerns about the efforts of Russia to limit our missile defense and actions that, that a previous administration took on this issue. Uh, can you commit to me that in any arms control discussions with Russia for which you are responsible, that the United States will not agree to limiting our own missile defense programs? Yes, Senator, and I can assure you that I will stand up for what is in the best interest of the United States people and our partners and allies when appropriate. Uh, thank you. Anything, um, Senator, um, Secretary Trackenberg, you'd like to add to this from a standpoint of the Department of Defense? No, I, I would agree that uh, agree with that statement, Senator. I, w I, w I was also uh, president of the Department of Defense uh, when President Bush made the decision to uh, withdraw from the, uh, uh, or to exercise the withdrawal clause of the ABM Treaty because the world had changed. Uh, we faced a variety of ballistic missile threats and uh, felt the need to uh, move forward uh, with it, uh, at least an initial deployment of missile defenses. So I very much believe that missile defenses cannot only defend but can be useful from a deterrence uh, perspective as well in devaluing the currency that others place on ballistic missiles as a threat. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you very much. Senator Coons. Thank you, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Menendez. Uh, thank you to both our witnesses for your uh, long service to our country and for the chance to explore these um, important issues with you. 
Um, something we haven't talked much about in today's hearing is chemical weapons. Uh, so let me move to that if I can. Uh, the Trump administration's recent national security strategy claims we're in an era of renewed great power competition, uh, in particular with Russia. Uh, and I'm wondering whether this is an era, area in which you expect that uh, to reemerge. The State Department uh, has long claimed uh, that Russia has not yet declared all its chemical weapons and production facilities to the OPCW, Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Uh, and Russia continues, I think, a despicable practice of um, supporting or defending um, the murderous regime of Bashar al-Assad and their repeated use of chemical weapons. Um, does the administration believe uh, unilateral measures are the best way to counter Russian chemical weapons production and use? Um, or should we instead work through international institutions like the OPCW? Um, that's for you, Ms. Thompson. Thank you, Senator. I think both are appropriate. Uh, we've worked hand in glove with the OPCW and our partners and allies. Uh, of late, Assistant Secretary Poblet uh, was in, was in, uh, in with the conference and uh, stating our views, and we've had a rigorous uh, engagement with partners and allies to ensure it's not only a U.S. voice, but a voice of, of the global partnership. And uh, we've been very consistent on that and look forward to continued emphasis both uh, bilaterally and through the multilateral engagements uh, of predominantly with OPCW when it comes to chem. Uh, and as you can uh, reference in my statement, uh, where we stand uh, with the Russians' actions in Syria and with the Assad regime. Thank you, Senator. And do you um, assess that Russia may seek to reconstitute a large-scale chemical weapon production capability, or do you think its goal is the smaller-scale program that allows it to carry out attacks like the one that recently happened in the United Kingdom? I'd be interested in both of your opinions on that. I'd anticipate they'll continue to build on their existing program, and as we saw from the Novichok attacks, continue to expand uh, through the for new emerging technologies in that as well. Do you, would you agree that there's a distinction between large-scale production in terms of capability to improve and deploy chemical weapons as opposed to the ability to carry out small-scale attacks? I'd agree with that assessment. Uh, I, I would agree with that as well, Senator. Uh, I would also think that uh, anything that the Russians do in the area of chemical weapons, they will do with a clear intent to try to uh, uh, hide what they are doing from, from detection. Uh, and I think the, uh, the results of the attack in Salisbury earlier this year uh, was uh, an absolutely atrocious demonstration of regardless of whether, whether they have large or small arsenals, uh, the willingness to actually employ such weapons or to support regimes that employ such weapons uh, is, uh, uh, is, is really an atrocity. Um, and so I'll just echo what Senator Isaacson said earlier about the importance of having robust verification regimes and the ways uh, in which uh, his support for the New START Treaty ultimately was won over because of the breadth and sophistication of the verification regimes involved. I'll, or I'll simply speak for myself and say that also is a key part in my uh, supporting New START. Um, I, I want to revisit a question Senator Murphy uh, asked earlier uh, about comments uh, made by the National Security Advisor John Bolton back in uh, August after meeting with his Russian counterpart, uh, where he was suggesting in the early stages of the review uh, that one option uh, in consideration of New START was pursuing a different type of approach, such as the O2 Moscow Treaty, uh, which only limits uh, deployed warheads and does not include verification. You gave an answer about uh, there being a continuing verification regime that made that not necessary. Now, let me just ask directly, um, is the administration considering in this interagency process a new arms control agreement that does not include verification provisions? No, sir. Uh, not to my knowledge, Senator. 
and would you support or recommend um, arms control agreements or reductions that didn't include verification procedures at least as robust as New START? Uh, I would not. I would want to ensure that verification measures are integrated into any treaty that we seek. Um, it's my view, given um, public statements by Putin and others, that Russia is um, seeking strategic weapons that would allow them to restart uh, a great power competition with us. And it's just my hope that you will consider Congress a partner and seek our input and assistance as we try to craft a way to both push Russia back into compliance with the INF Treaty um, and uh, consider how, when, and whether to extend the New START Treaty, um, something that I think is of great concern uh, to all of us. Thank you both for your testimony. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator Booker. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I, I know that some of this ground was already covered uh, with uh, Senator Shaheen, but I, I just like to go through uh, a little bit uh, again. Um, there's obviously a dispute over the, uh, the compliance with the Russians on the INF Treaty. Um, a collapse of the INF Treaty would open the doors, I would assume, towards uh, uh, further development of arms uh, in, in terms of the intermediate range missiles uh, and the negative repercussions. Can you just help me maybe, you know, briefly restate the benefits of the INF Treaty, uh, not just to the United States, but also to our NATO, NATO allies? Uh, Senator Booker, I think the uh, INF Treaty, when it was negotiated, uh, was, was a major arms control accomplishment in that it completely eliminated an entire class of uh, nu nu nuclear systems, uh, systems that uh, threatened our uh, NATO uh, Europe allies uh, specifically. So uh, there was indeed uh, great value to, to the treaty at the time. I would also note that the Russians were initially reluctant, uh, you may recall, to engage in any negotiations uh, along those lines until the United States had demonstrated a willingness to at least counter what uh, they were doing uh, with the deployment of their SS-20s in Europe. Now, we have no plans to deploy missiles in Europe, INF missiles in Europe. Uh, uh, the, reason, the reason I raise the point, however, is, is to make it clear that Russian behavior occasionally uh, is uh, uh, determined by how they view the United States reacting to their behavior. And so, and so uh, for, they're in a sense of, a, they're in violation clearly right now. Um, uh, in terms of our allies, um, what would it mean if we declared them in material breach and pulled out? What, do you, what would the implications be? Senator, the implications of material breach, uh, those have been laid out in the treaty. Uh, there are various options uh, with the treaty, and those discussions would be in, con uh, in collaboration with our technical experts here and partners and allies. We're not there yet. No, and, and there's, there's obviously an importance in continuing that dialogue, um, especially we have, this is just land-based. Obviously, we have the other two prongs of the nuclear triad at our disposal, air and, 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 and submarine launch, correct? And I, and I guess, so then, you know, the, the, the bombacity, at least the way my description, not yours, obviously, of some of the, um, of some of the statements on behalf of the administration uh, seem to me make me worry about the, the willingness to go forward and continue uh, sort of strategic stability talks. Can you give me any uh, understanding of, of what the administration intends to do to continue that, that what is important dialogue to both us and our allies? Yes, Senator. Well, we can, uh, I'm committed to that. Uh, the dialogue is incredibly important. And that was an example with the President, President Putin in Helsinki, was one example of dialogue. Again, with Ambassador Bolton uh, and his counterpart, um, as I alluded to earlier, with Secretary Pompeo and Foreign Minister Lavrov, I've had discussions, I've had discussions. So as we've seen, despite their, uh, their uh, 
the rhetoric despite their uh, breach of their obligations. We continue to keep that door open and remain uh, committed to fulfill our end of the obligation. And, and but uh, is there going to be some kind of formal follow-up to Helsinki? Do we do we uh, um, are we going to have some uh, efforts to really have more formal discussions coming up? We have had formal discussions. There are uh, interagency dialogue on next steps, but uh, it doesn't get much press. But for example, when we had the INF technical experts meetings, we engage in uh, with the chemical weapons piece and the OPCW, among others. So it doesn't get as much press, but there are lines of dialogue, both from the Defense Department, State Department, uh, DOE Secretary Perry was in country, I believe it was yesterday or the day before. Uh, so we continue to have those discussions. Is there a disagreement in the White House uh, within the administration about whether they resume talks on a specific date and time? Uh, not to my knowledge, Senator, no. And lastly, uh, what would the goals be for those continued conversations? Uh, it depends on the treaty, quite candidly. Uh, with INF, obviously, we've raised it that they are not in compliance, and we've shown them example upon example of that. But uh, as the President addressed in July, the fact that we both are nuclear-capable countries, we have an obligation to our people and to our partners to maintain that open line of dialogue. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Senator Markley. Uh, thank you very much both for continuing to uh, keep us briefed on developments in these very important nuclear conversations. The, um, uh, under New START, does the United States have access only to declared facilities or to also undeclared facilities that we suspect? To my knowledge, it's both, Senator, but I, candidly, I'll have to take that back to my experts and confirm. I, I do believe it's only declared facilities. Under the JCPOA, the IAEA has the power to request access to suspect facilities and mandates, I believe, a 24-hour response period. Is that correct? Yeah, they've, they've I, I believe we could request access, yes. you don't necessarily get the access. As of this time, we've heard, heard report after report that Iran is in compliance. Does that your all's uh, understanding from all of your uh, examination of the issues? They are in compliance as uh, the IAE report, uh, not in compliance with uh, all the additional malign activities, but I'm sure we'll address that later, Senator. But those are not JCPOA activities that you're talking about. They're in compliance with the JCPOA, in your opinion? In the IAE's opinion, they are in technical compliance, yes. But in, but in your opinion? The technical portion, Senator, they're in compliance. They're in compliance. Okay, thank you. Uh, the, um, we have uh, the challenge between a vision and the details of an arms control agreement. This is the New START agreement, pretty hefty package. Could spend a career probably studying it. And this is the JCPOA, which is also a pretty hefty package. And this is the press release regarding the US and North Korea for denuclearization, and that's all we have. There is no, am I wrong? Is there any package like this, any set of detailed plans yet between the US and North Korea regarding North Korea's program? I could bring in a stack of the intelligence, but I don't think that'd be appropriate for this hearing, Senator. Well, we, these are public 
agreements. These are treaties. There is no such treaty worked out. Am I, am I correct that there is no detailed inventory of North Korean assets that have been examined and developed with agreement on both sides? That is correct, Senator. Am I correct that there is no schedule for eliminating these nuclear assets that has been agreed to by both sides? Not yet. Am I correct that there is no verification regime that has been developed and agreed to by both sides? It has been drafted uh, from our side, not in agreement yet, Senator. So, well, it's hard to have a complete verification regime if you haven't worked out what you're actually eliminating. That's correct, Senator. The, this particular statement says the United States and DPRK, meaning North Korea, commit uh, to work toward the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Now that wording, to work toward, is a far cry from what uh, the standard that Secretary Pompeo set out for, which was, I believe he used the words, complete irreversible elimination of nuclear weapons. Why wouldn't North Korea agree to language, or did we insist and try to push language that would be a commitment to complete irreversible elimination rather than simply to work toward denuclearization? Senator, uh, the administration stands firm that the final and fully verified denuclearization and those discussions are ongoing. So at the time of this statement, North Korea was unwilling to reach the language we wanted, the complete irreversible elimination. They've committed to denuclearize the peninsula. Well, I'm just reading from the document. It says to work, they've committed to work toward. That's quite different. It reminds me actually of the NPT language, the Non-Proliferation Treaty language, where the large nuclear capable or nuclear uh, states uh, pledge to, and they use very similar language, undertake to pursue negotiations on complete disarmament. In other words, it's those inserted words that say, no, we don't really have a commitment yet. North Korea is just saying it will work toward that, that effort. I stress this because quite a bit of time has passed and um, we don't even have the first leg of the journey. The first base is getting to a complete inventory of their program and North Korea hasn't even agreed to that and there wasn't actually any language in this one-page document that committed them to it. Uh, so it's a real concern. The other thing is, is that one thing we said in, in this document, which was a little unusual, is we specifically called out that we were committed to hold follow-up negotiations led by the U.S. Secretary of State, Monk Pompeo, and a relevant high-level North Korean official to implement the outcomes. But the outcome is only to work towards something because there is no verification regime to implement. There is no inventory of their nuclear program. And there is no schedule or plan for how that will be eliminated. So what is there exactly to implement? Senator, when we talk final and fully verified, I would say that is the last step of 
and I'm prep, I know you're aware based on your arms control background that once we get the agreement, you'll get the access to the country. Uh, and then there's a series of steps. We've had done this in multiple areas. We've got the technical expertise within the ranks of the State Department, DOD, Department of Energy, and partners and allies. So I'm, I'm confident when Secretary Pompeo uh, reaches the agreement on behalf of with the President that we have the steps that are necessary to final and fully verify. I was just trying to understand what there was to implement, because this wasn't implement what we may someday negotiate. It was to implement the outcome of the summit, it says. And I'm just a little puzzled by exactly what that meant. So given that it says that we were fully committed to having Secretary Pompeo do these follow-up negotiations, why was his second trip to hold those negotiations canceled by the United States? that the, the North Koreans had not taken the appropriate action to justify a visit. Uh, that said, the discussions are ongoing with Secretary Pompeo, uh, with our envoy, and through senior leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Menendez. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Just a couple follow-up questions. Returning to the START Treaty, has the United States been able to verify, I'm sorry, has, returning to the START Treaty, has the United States been able to verify Russia is meeting the limitations of the treaty? We did. Both countries met their limits in February, Senator. Okay. And assuming that the United States continues to verify Russia's in compliance, can the United States meet all of our deterrence requirements for the next five years if New START is extended? I would defer to Department of Defense. Yeah. Senator, for the next five years, uh, it's uh, a bit speculative. Uh, I know we can meet those requirements today, uh, but uh, conditions uh, uh, occasionally have a, a change quite rapidly. So uh, I'd be reluctant to say whether we could or couldn't uh, five years hence. Well, the, the question is, if, if Russia continues to meet its obligation and is in compliance, you can't tell me whether we can meet our deterrence requirements under the New START Treaty? Uh, our, deterrence uh, our deterrence requirements uh, may be variable, Senator, uh, and uh, not only directly related to the Russian Federation, there are other uh, countries out there uh, with nuclear weapons. So uh, again, that would be uh, speculative on my part. All right, let me just say that the more I hear the answers to your questions, I, I don't understand if, we can meet all of our current deterrence requirements with the force uh, at or slightly below the levels of the New START Treaty. Uh, if we uh, are not forced to cut back any of our current nuclear modernization efforts, if we are not in any way limited in terms of our missile defenses, if this meets the standard put forward in the Nuclear Posture Review uh, for arms control, if we've been able to verify Russia is meeting the limitations of the treaty, uh, it seems to me that all of the foundational building blocks of uh, aspiring to a follow-on on this treaty would be in place. But as I listen to your answers, I get a sense that maybe the administration has had it a different way. Uh, I, I'm not intending to imply, Senator, that the administration takes a different view of that. You may be absolutely correct in, in what you say. Uh, all I'm su suggesting is that uh, five years uh, can... Uh, much can happen in five years. Let me uh, turn to the chemical weapons question. Uh, obviously, Salisbury, uh, uh, that attack directly contravenes the Chemical Weapons Convention, which is a fundamental pillar of international attempts to limit the use of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, now that you have imposed a first round of sanctions, has the Russian Federation taken steps 
to avoid additional sanctions required under the Chemical and Biological Act? Not that we have seen as yet. So assuming that that goes unabated, then there should be uh, more consequences. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement, Senator. Now let me finally turn to the INF Treaty. Um, has, uh, it, it, it appears that the Russians have consistently said that they value the INF Treaty, would like to preserve it, we'll see. In addition, it appears that Russia and the United States have at least agreed on the missile, the, N, uh, the uh, 9M729, which we have identified as violating the treaty. On the other hand, in March, in congressional testimony, General Hyten, the commander of the U.S. Strategic Command, testified Russia had increased the production and deployment of the 9M729, compounding Russia's violations and further threatening European security. So let me ask you a few questions about the next steps in our attempts to bring Russia back into compliance. Has the United States asked Russia to halt production of the 9M729 so that the military situation doesn't further deteriorate during our discussions? We have had discussions with our Russian counterparts in the INF te technical experts meeting on what is their obligations and the compliance and how they are violating the treaty. Yeah, have we specifically asked them to halt production of that missile? We have uh, told them to get back into compliance and show them examples of what that looks like. Okay. Wouldn't halting production begin the process of getting them back into compliance? In discussion, Senator, I'd uh, prefer not to talk about open dialogue of our negotiations in the open setting, but we could well, talk about look, that. Well, look, you know, this. hiding uh, behind uh, things that are not classified and calling them classified are, are beyond, you know, the pale. Let me ask you this. Has the United States asked Russia to provide an exhibition of the missile so U.S. experts can review its technical characteristics and determine whether it can fly more than 500 kilometers, which would violate the treaty? I have not. I don't know if other agencies have, Senator. Do you know of any? Uh, not to my knowledge, Senator. Uh, what steps does Russia need to take to bring itself back into compliance with the treaty? Fulfill the obligations it set forth in the INF Treaty. Which would show what? Well, there's a, a You're the undersecretary. Why don't you tell me what, what some of those are? Well, for one, sir, Senator, is they, uh, they would have to get rid of the SS, uh, SSC-8. They, that blows compliance. They have battalions of them. Uh, they'd have to stop production, among other things, Senator. Mm -hmm. Let me just close on this. Uh, Secretary Thompson, you mentioned uh, Section 231 of CATSER in your opening statement. The fiscal year 19 uh, National Defense Authorization signed into law on August 13th included a provision which requires the administration to submit a report on whether the president has made a determination that significant transactions have taken place with the Russian defense and intelligence sectors. That report is due on November 13th. Can we have your commitment that this report will be submitted to the committee on or before that date? You have my commitment that that will be uh, submitted. Yes, Senator. But thank you. I want to thank you both for being here. Just to ask a, a closing question. I, I know that uh, Secretary Thompson referred to some of the rhetoric that had come out of the Russian leader's mouth. Sometimes that's information and not reality. And then, Secretary Trachtenberg, you've left yourself a lot of room. Um, as it relates to some of these treaties. It, are there things out there right now that cause either one of you um, concerns about strategic stability? Senator, I'm concerned about the overall state of the U.S.-Russian relationship uh, to the extent that uh, affects uh, stability, uh, absolutely. And I'm concerned uh, not just from an arms control perspective, 
uh, but uh, my concern goes beyond the arms control realm, uh, looking into uh, some of the other things that uh, the Russian Federation is doing, some of its, uh, some of its actions uh, that uh, sort of uh, span a range of activities that uh, uh, I would find uh, counterproductive to American interests across the board. So those are all things that we're, we, we can visibly see and, and are aware of. Are there other things, though, that you are aware of that they are developing that cause you to feel concern about the strategic stability, either one of you? Senator, if I may, uh, particularly to Russia, but to, to other uh, countries as well, uh, as one that oversees the arms control and the treaties uh, writ large is uh, the emerging technologies. Um, we've talked to some of the staff of, of late, artificial intelligence, uh, the hypersonics, cyber, although here, but the further development, and those are the type of technologies uh, that we need to get uh, our arms around uh, with responsible nation states activities and what that looks like. So I see that as maybe the future of arms control as some of these emerging technologies and how they're integrated into the arms control treaties. Andy, are you, are you sensing that we are losing an edge in those future technologies or that someone is gaining advantage? So I'm confident in our technologies. Uh, we have some work both uh, in international forums as well on what that means in adherence and arms control as these technologies develop. You want to make any comment? Uh, uh, yes, Senator. I, uh, I would agree with that, and I would say uh, with the support of the Congress uh, that uh, uh, the Department of Defense uh, has had, uh, for which uh, we thank you very much, uh, we believe going forward and in, uh, uh, investing in these types of technologies and Undersecretary Thompson has talked about are essential to maintaining the United States uh, uh, military advantages uh, go going forward. Uh, otherwise, uh, we do run the risk of, uh, of uh, falling behind uh, and uh, having that uh, negatively impact our overall national security objectives. Well, we thank you both. Um, the record will remain open for written questions through the close of business Thursday. If you could respond to those fairly quickly, we'd appreciate it. We thank you both for being here, for sharing your knowledge and insights. And with that, uh, the committee is adjourned.